Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We're now on the third lesson of our uh, second quarter of the year, 2022, studying the book of Genesis. April 16. Yes. You know, because we record these way ahead of time, sometimes, like... It, it could have been altogether possible that we would have worn sweaters today, you know, so I'm just looking at this. We kind Are of you thinking it prophetically spray-ish. that, like, by the time this airs, we're going to be in short sleeves and yeah. we're expecting well, warmer weather? and I'm thinking that our, our viewers are. By the time they're watching this, Here's it's something. like, hey, yes, amen. <laughs> well, we're talking about Cain and his legacy. That's the title of this week's study. Yeah. And, again, we're just moving essentially sequentially through the book of Genesis, story yes. by story. And here we come, of course... Genesis chapter ah, four and, and the story of Cain. This is the first, the last episode. We said the title was the Book of Beginnings. That's the best we could figure out. Well, it's not. It's Genesis. Yeah, pretty straightforward. It's Genesis. So, Either way, we are looking through. We are going through the Book of Genesis, and we are on Genesis chapters four and five this week. Yes, and this week you put together the talking points, and yes. so while we review them together, you're going to lead out in that discussion. Yeah. But before we do that, we Let's need to start with a word of prayer. prayer. So let me best pray for us. Heavenly Father, as we begin this week, we want to uh, thank you for this rich material we get to cover and for the lessons that it shows for our lives still today. Please now bless every Sabbath school teacher, every leader, participant who has anything to do with the Sabbath school class, that it may be a rich blessing for everyone. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. Well, this this is an exciting lesson this week, and it's just full of stuff. There are certain things that I am of necessity leaving out. It's a, it's a, we talked about this. It's a battle, and I know we have it as Sabbath school teachers. I run into it when I'm putting together an outline like this. I run into it when I'm teaching the class. There are always, almost always things you simply can't cover, mm-hmm. and you've got to pick what to cover. In Genesis 4, to me, the heart of Genesis 4 and 5 is this story of Cain and Abel. Um, much of it is the aftermath of that. I mean, not much of it, but a, a good part of it is the aftermath in this week's lesson. But that experience of the uh, worship, the altars, the two altars of Cain and Abel, really lays a foundation in Scripture, which we're going to see this week. Well, and I'm not sure that, obviously, people will want to contrast the legacy of Cain with the legacy of the faithful, you know, through Seth yes. and whatnot. But really, this week's focus is not on the two legacies. Pretty much it's, it's, it's hinged in the experience of Cain and the lessons we can draw from that. Yes. So if they don't get ex- exhaustively into five, uh, the lesson really didn't go there either. But yeah. you could. But anyway. But you always have the lesson book. Amen. For go wherever study. the Spirit leads you. There. And I would also encourage. Uh, the reading of the chapter, at least the chapter, Cain and Abel in uh, Patriarchs and Prophets. Yes. And then the next one is Seth and Enoch, which we're not going to get into as much of that. But just uh, as much as we can't cover as much, you can cover it in your own personal study. And I would encourage you to do that. Yes, right. Okay. All right. Our talking points this week. The first talking point from Genesis 4 and 5 that we've picked up is that true worship is expressed by obedience. Now, I think we've done this before, but these are... These are the basic principles that are clearly outlined in Genesis. Also, it just makes me laugh because, like, we're usually like at some point, you know, obedience has a has a part to play of righteousness and true obedience and worship, and, and it's like you could get the idea that man, we keep coming back to this theme, but that seems to be the recurring theme of Scripture. Right. But we'll get into that. Okay. Well, I can see somebody saying, "Well, you guys keep bringing this up." Uh, yeah, because <laughs> this is the lesson book, and if we're Commenting on this. That's right. That's what's going to keep coming bringing it up. Okay. And you'll see it clearly in the lesson this week. Now, that's drawn from Sunday and Monday's lesson in the quarterly, and of course, from those chapters in Scripture. Sure. 
Second talking point, sin leads to destruction, which mm. we could talk about it, but it's very clearly illustrated in this week and next week's lesson, I believe. Yes. And then finally, our world is at the heart of the great controversy. Yeah, which, knowing what's coming in this particular talking point makes yeah. me want to race through one and two, good as they are, and just, I'm just spend the whole you. time in here. But Well, because it's very, you know, the Great Controversy message is very unique to Seventh-day Adventists. As is. much as it's a scriptural message, not right. too many people comment on it. Yes. And so, let's dive in, shall Please, we? let's do that. Number one, true worship is expressed by obedience. Yes. Here we come back to that theme again. What are we talking about? So, let's, um, why don't you read for us Genesis chapter 4 and, <laughs> you know, the desire, like... It's like, let's read through the whole thing, but let's, um, time permitting, just go through verse 10. So yeah, one maybe through we'll 10? Break it. Yeah, maybe, maybe um, you, you do can one? do 1 through 5, and I'll do 6 through 10. Okay, Genesis 4, 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel in his offering, but he did not respect Cain in his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Mm. And there's more to that we'll touch on in a minute. But you have this encounter with Cain and Abel. The lesson goes in a little bit to the idea, I have acquired a man from the Lord, that even from the beginning, and Ellen White affirms this, that Adam and Eve thought they heard the promise of the Messiah mm-hmm. when the Lord clothed them with and skins. And the seed would come from the woman, right? So And, she, and they thought, maybe this is it, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, that it would have been that soon, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's interesting that our lesson answers why it wasn't that soon. It is a fascinating week. thing as we get through the end of it. So let's keep moving. So um, it, what's interesting about Cain and Abel is, so here you have the two sons of Adam and Eve. They, in, the, in the story, they both come before God to worship him. So Cain's not an idolater outwardly. Mm. I mean, he's not out worshiping. They're both wor- professing. Well, he's not an atheist either. Right. He's worshiping. He's about an altar, right? Right. He's, they're professing to worship the God of heaven. They're both coming. They're both building an altar, altars and what have you. They're both worshiping God. And, of course, this is important now because especially in, in these last days, we know that the final test is going to be over worship. And there's a mindset that today, as long as you say you're worshiping God, God's cool with however you want to worship him, whatever way you want to use, whatever music you want to use, however mm-hmm. you want to dress when you worship him, however you want, like there are no parameters. Yeah. And yet when you come to this experience very clearly, while both profess to be worshiping God, God does not accept everything called worship. Well, and you could even put it in more common nomenclature. Did Cain have a relationship with God? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, he was he was to a certain extent. I mean, look, God I, came and talked to him. Right. Hey, say, listen. So clearly, he was well, going to worship right. God, and God responds to this, and so this. But would you say it's a saving relationship? What makes the difference between a saving relationship is what your point. True yeah. worship is expressed by obedience. Well, we're going to get to that in a minute. Now, what I want to highlight, and I've got it in our outline: to outward appearance, they looked the same. And, and, and that's going to be the, the, the case at the end of time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the case when, when uh, Jesus said, when he comes again, there will be two lying in one bed and two in mm-hmm. the field and two. And, one taken in the other. And yeah. one taken in. He's not, he's not teaching the rapture theory, the secret rapture. He, what he's saying is, to outward appearances, they may look identical. Well, mm-hmm. one's ready and one's not. And we see this in, in mm-hmm. the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, in fact, Cain and Abel represent the two classes of worshipers that are going to exist till the end of time. The final contest is going to be on one side or the other. You receive the mark of the beast or the seal of God. You're going to be on this side or that side. There's not another side. And we see it way back in the beginning. The principles are outlined right here. Well, one of the things that was kind of alluded to, I think it's on Sundays. In fact, I know it's on Sunday's lesson, is the idea that, well, maybe there were personality differences or maybe there was some sort of like advantage, disadvantage, an imbalance of of something. The last part of the last paragraph there on Sunday talks about... And, and that's a possibility, perhaps. It goes into but, the, the, the Hebrew words for the names. And, you know, names have meanings in the Bible, but it almost implies that, yeah, like, like there was some kind of difference in how they were raised. And almost even like Cain might have been spoiled a little bit because he was considered that. And we don't have any of that in inspiration. Right. So I, I felt it's a little bit reading in too much. But what we do have from inspiration, I'm looking at Patriarchs and Prophets yeah. 72 there. Yeah, why don't you go ahead and read it? says, that. so far as birth and religious instruction were concerned, these brothers were equal. Both were sinners and both acknowledged the claims of God to reverence and worship. Mm-hmm. To outward appearance, their religion was the same up to a certain point. But beyond this, the difference between the two was great. So when it says, as far as uh, birth and religious instruction were concerned, they were equal, that means they both had the same opportunities. Yes. And that's especially important because some people will look at Cain and Abel, they'll look at Jacob and Esau, they'll say, well, God predestined, Cain was going to be lost no matter how you Mm -hmm. looked at it. Or there's one inherently more spiritually strong and the other one did at a disadvantage somehow. Mm-hmm. Doesn't doesn't indicate at all. No. And what seems to me is the case that if both had the, the same parents, the same opportunities, the same instruction, but you had different outcomes, that was somehow in the choice of the person themselves, That's right. right? That's right. And and we actually touch on that coming up a little bit. Okay. So building on that concept in in Hebrews chapter eleven verse four, the Bible tells us very clearly what the difference was. It says, "By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain." Mm. through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. So through by faith, Abel offered this, sec- this better sacrifice. And it's interesting, we talk about the sacrifices, a lot of times people will note that, well, Cain brought the fruit of the ground, and some people assume that he came up with his own idea of sacrifice or sacrificial whatever. the A substitution like, of his own creation. But... but what you come to realize is, and Ellen White highlights this, the lesson, in fact, touches on it as well on uh, Monday's quarterly paragraph three, that what Cain was offering was a thank offering. And a couple things stand out at me. When it talks about Abel, it says Abel offered of his flock and of its fat. And hmm. you don't offer the fat unless you cut the animal apart. Now, the, the, this was the way that was specified in the sanctuary. But those specifications came way later on. Mm. We don't read about them here, but it would imply 
that they had been well instructed. Even when God came to Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? I mean, the reasoning there implies that Cain knew what he should have done. Mm. And incidentally, the, the offering he offered of the fruit of the ground was a legitimate offering for a thank offering. But Abel offered a sin offering. Mm. And a sin offering, in fact, was to be accompanied by the thank offering, vice versa. And for Cain to come with the thank offering was, in essence, expressing that he really didn't need the sin offering. Yeah, I can skip past that part. Let's go straight to the thanks, right? He didn't address the core need of his heart. So Ellen White comments, uh, why don't you read that in uh, also Patriarchs and Prophets from page 72. It says, Cain obeyed in building an altar, obeyed in bringing a sacrifice, but he rendered only a partial obedience. The essential part, the recognition of the need of a redeemer, was left out. Abel chose faith and obedience, Cain, unbelief and rebellion, and here the whole matter rested. Mm, Now that last sentence is powerful. I want to come back to it. But before that, it says Cain rendered a partial obedience, and then it says the the essential part, the recognition of the need of Redeemer, which which was implied by the Lamb, which was typified in offering the Lamb, was left out. So Cain didn't sense his need of a redeemer. And and I had to stop and think, when your worship service to God is devoid of a recognition of a personal need, then who is the worship for? Mm. And this may sound strange because for some of our viewers, even it's like, well, we worship God because he requires it. Is that why we worship God? Or do we worship God because we need it? Mm. In other words, the whole worship, when when you look at paganism, it's built on that concept that the whatever higher power there is needs to be appeased by your worship. But in Christianity, mm-hmm. in biblical religion, it's not God that needs the worship. It's us who needs the worship. Well, and I'm thinking about in the Cain instance, if you skip past the need for salvation mm-hmm. and repentance and transformation, yes. just, just going to thank yous or... You can decide which parts are essential or not. Well, then now you've got a checklist religion. It's like, well, I did this and this. And, you Mm. know, I'm mostly good, but this part, I'm thinking about my kids, right? I have this saying that slow obedience is disobedience or like partial (laughs) obedience is like, I did part of it. It's like, then you didn't do it. Like the Bible speaks about that. If you break it in one point, you're guilty of all. So partial obedience isn't obedience. Right. Why would you partially obey unless your heart's not in it? Like if your heart's, if your heart's in it, well, you're going to do all of it because you... And so it's interesting that we always think that partial obedience is for the person who really understands grace. But the reality, and the legalist is the one who obeys. They're just so scrupulous that yeah, they're trying you, to really get You're through. doing everything God says. <laughs> exactly. But like a real, a real relationship with Jesus would only do part of what he wants. Here it's revealed to us that, that the lack of a sense of need mm. is what leads to partial obedience. If oh. I don't need the worship, God needs it. Well, how much do you need, God? Give me the checklist and the bare minimum, and I'm going to do it because Cain found no delight in his worship of God. Mm. And so many people, again, this is one of the two classes that will exist at the end of time. There are all kinds of people who go through the motions, but they sense no need. Mercy. And so mm. here the whole matter rested. Uh, God has always desired obedience, not the blood of animal sacrifices. So many passages in Scripture, Psalm 51, David Absolutely. says that in his prayer. Isaiah to obey 1, is 1, better 2, than 20, sacrifice, right? right? Yeah, that's First uh, Samuel 15, 22. Read that quote from Patriarchs and Prophets 73 here. It says, again, true, faith, true faith, which relies wholly upon Christ, will be manifested by obedience to all the requirements of God. 
All the requirements, not a partial, but the full. But notice there's two alls here, or holes. If you're holy in Christ, then you're going to do all the requirements. So the proportion of your obedience is a reflection of your connection to the Lord. And we see that theme throughout Scripture. Here's the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. It's Mm. those things go together. Faith is manifested by obedience. If you don't obey, you really don't have faith in God, and those things are tied together. So, point number one, true worship is expressed by obedience. Amen. Um, That leads us to point number two, sin leads to destruction. Now, of course, you have this whole encounter with Cain afterwards. The Lord comes to Cain, asks him the question, which is fascinating. Yes, it is. In other words, you you see the Lord's mercy towards Cain, um, even while he's stewing over this. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Uh, and yet, after all of that, sin does rule over him. He kills his brother, the first murderer in the Bible. Mm. You've got to figure, I mean, I don't know. For me, I'm thinking, this is really the first person anybody, that, that has ever died, Abel. And so, Cain probably, this was probably a little awakening to him, like, wow, this could happen. <laughs> well, <laughs> right? it's, it's fascinating, mean, too, that here in Genesis 4, it's just like Genesis 3 when the Lord approaches yes. Adam and his wife, you know, like, and he asks these kind of odd questions, like, where are you? Who told you you're naked? Yes. Why is your, he just told us. Cain mm-hmm. was angry and countenance fell. And the Lord said, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? <laughs> He's trying to get him to That's recognize exactly this right. is why you're having this outcome is because of what you put in. Well, it makes me think of Isaiah chapter 1 where the Lord says, come now, let us reason together. God is trying to reason with yes. him. And what's fascinating in that context is... He's trying to reason with him because it evidences to us that Cain still has a choice. Mm. And there are a lot of people, as we mentioned, that will look at Cain and Abel and say, no, God predestined him. To, no. That one he, was inherently good. One was he, inherently he gave, bad. Right. He gave him a choice, which is not just exhibited there before the murder, but after the murder. Cain's afraid that, wow, maybe I could be killed and, and everybody's going to try to kill me. And and so God places a mark on Cain, mm-hmm. Genesis 4, 15, preserves him, yeah. and preserves his life. And God did that. There are two reasons I can see for God doing that. Number one, it was to give him an opportunity to repent. He didn't just have a few moments after that sin. Like, and praise God, how many of us, what if God just only gave us, like, you've got this uh, statute of limitations, like, okay, five minutes after Mm -hmm. the sin and beyond that, It's like the 10-second rule on the floor, or the five-second rule when you drop something. It's like, well, it's quick. You've got to make your repentance now. But the Lord knows that as you go through life experiences, they have a way of teaching you. As you get older and you see, you know, Cain certainly experienced the the, uh, outcomes of of Mm. life of sin and whatever else. But God gave him that opportunity for the rest of his life. That's so the allowance one. of Cain to live, number one, is for his own benefit because there's a chance of redemption here. That's exactly right. Okay. But the other reason, which we'll explore a little more, is to demonstrate to the universe that the ultimate outcome, what the ultimate outcome of a life of rebellion is. Like, mm. l- what happens if he continues on and on, very much like Lucifer's extension of, you know, we, we ask, why was evil permitted in heaven? Mm-hmm. God's giving us a partial answer right here, a demonstrable answer. Yes. Like in heaven, we don't see all that happened, and Lucifer's still going, and we don't see Lucifer in the heaven, in the, in the evil angels and what they're doing. But God let us see what would happen. You know, why did God allow evil to continue on the earth? Why didn't he just kill Cain? Let somebody else kill Cain. Destroy him. And, no, he lets him continue. Yes. And then what do we do? But we see, we behold the results of That's that. That's right. So continue. now we see in Cain and A, we see a clear demonstration of the sinfulness that has taken root, but then let's see the fruit of it in the rest of life. Can this be changed? What, yes. or what will happen to others through their influence? And it's, it's a really fascinating outplaying of these principles. And I love to get into more of Lamech versus Enoch. 
because you come down to Lamech, the descendant of Cain, and he's, you know, he murders somebody, mm-hmm. but you see this flippant attitude where you see how emboldened in sin the world has become through successive generations. And you could almost say, and the Bible says that the men, men's hearts were set on evil all the time, but then in that context, you also find Enoch of yes. the descendants of Seth, who lives a holy life to the point that he's translated to heaven. So there's this demonstration of, first of all, what happens for those who continue in sin, but also a demonstration of those who, by faith, yes. trust in Christ and his transforming And that's what I'm just going to tell you right now. The next week's lesson talks about the flood and the structure yes. of the flood, and it skips over the whole Genesis 5 thing. But the reality <laughs> is, if you have... The descendants of Cain who are going to lead to, we know, yeah. a global destruction. But in the midst of that mm. timeline, you also have an Enoch who can go directly to heaven. There yes. is a play of those who will be translated by faith in Christ versus those who will be destroyed. And and it's not like, oh, you have to be in a special quarantined area to be able to. No, apparently in the middle mm. of this sinful world, even headed for destruction, you can still stand right. for Jesus. Anyway, don't Amen. have time for it. Well, we'll get into it next week. Okay. But notice this statement from Patriarchs and Prophets 78. Ellen White says, This one apostate, speaking of Cain, this one apostate led on by Satan became a tempter to others, and his example and influence exerted their demoralizing power until the earth became so corrupt and filled with violence as to call for its destruction. Mercy. Just the continued existence of Cain. And you keep in mind, now Cain didn't, we don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us how long he lived, but Seth, his brother, lived to 912 years. Of course, mm-hmm. Abel didn't live that. But their people are living about 900 years. And assuming so he wasn't like that, killed early or something, that Cain, because he was marked, yes, was we specifically have, marked not to be killed, right? right? So you assume that he's going to have that long lifespan as well. And so he didn't just see like his kids or yes. his kids' kids. He could have been you know, continuing to move this ship of evil for generations. Yes, and that's the implication, and we see Mm. then the outcome. In fact, Elamite goes on to say that. Our third talking point is that our world is at the heart of the great controversy. You know, the Bible says that Satan and his angels were cast to this earth. Why? Because we're the only planet that sinned. Mm. And, And the only place that the world can see, the universe can see these results we're talking about is right here. Yes. On this planet, both the good and the bad. And so the mark of Cain, as previously stated, the prolonging of Cain's existence served a greater purpose than merely to give him opportunity to repent. On a much grander scale, it revealed to the universe the outcome of Satan's proposed government in the great controversy. Mm. Uh, why don't you read that statement for us again from Patriarchs and Prophets? This is all in this chapter in Cain and Abel. It's just fascinating. There's so much richness so, here. All right. Page 78. In sparing the life of the first murderer... God presented before the whole universe a lesson bearing upon the great controversy. Okay, hit the pause button. In sparing the life, God presented before the universe a lesson. Where did he present that lesson? Right here on earth. In the life of Cain and his influence, right? It keeps going. says, the dark history of Cain and his descendants was an illustration of what would have been the result of permitting the sinner to live on forever to carry out his rebellion against God. She goes on to say, the holy inhabitants of other worlds were watching with deepest interest the mm. events taking place on the earth. On the earth. In the condition of the world that existed before the flood, they saw illustrated the results of the admir- administration which Lucifer had endeavored to establish in heaven in rejecting the authority of Christ and casting aside the mm. law of God. Now, Pastor Mark, when we mm. hear, we're talking about the casting out of yes. Satan from heaven. That's, of course, from Revelation 12, 7. There was yes. war and he was cast out. And, and I often present and talk about the, the logical question, why would God have merely cast him out instead of just blotting him out of existence yes. altogether? Well, the Bible repeatedly, I, uh, 
not only does it affirm that he was cast yes. out, but I'm thinking of Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, mm-hmm. give the exact same reason that those who knew you might gaze at you and, and right. consider you. That Like we read right here, presented before the whole universe, yes. a lesson. There's a lesson here. It, it, they're, they're, People they're needed angels, to see. The inhabitants of other worlds watching with deepest interest the events taking place on this earth. They saw illustrated. Like, you, what you have here is, as I put in our notes, Ours is a world on display, yes. the proverbial stage upon which God is acting out the great plan of redemption. And if somebody thinks that that's a, well, oh, that's kind of like, how can you do that? That's exactly what Paul tells us yes. in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 9, mm. that we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels, yes. not just to men, both to angels and to men. Like this is the, what's the Greek word, theatron? Yeah, theatron, the where, spectacle. Where we get the word theater from. Like this is the stage. Where the world, the universe is watching. And I would add to and that. getting these lessons that God's trying to give. I would add to that Ephesians 3.10, where yes. he talks about to the intent that the manifold wisdom of God may be known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Yes. That God wants to teach a lesson in heaven through the agency of this earth. That's right. Powerful. One of the, This is one of the most powerful pieces of the great controversy, folks. Mm. And there's, there's, I've heard debate, you know, God... In the great controversy, God has been maligned. You see that over and over. And I've just shared shared a few little quotes here, but there are some powerful quotes just in this chapter alone, let alone Mm. in other places like, anyway, where it shows how God, God's character has been called into question. Mm. And the only way God can clear that up is by demonstrating. And you see that, you know, he presented before the universe. He demonstrated these, and he's doing it. Through what happens on the planet Earth, he's teaching a lesson to the universe. And I've had people say, well, no, God, you know, that God doesn't need humans to vindicate him. Uh, that's, it's a kind of a trick question. He, you're right, he doesn't. He's going to vindicate himself, but how does he do it? Where does he display mm-hmm. these lessons? Where are they, where is he able to make the clearest point? And I always mm. think back to the story of Job. And it's funny that in all these discussions where people say, well, God doesn't need humans to vindicate Nobody ever has a good answer for Job. Because Job is like, why does God, he's got the sons of God, they're, in, he, they're not on earth. Mm. They're somewhere in the celestial places. And he says, have you considered my servant Job? Why point to Job? Why didn't he just say, look, I'm right and Satan's wrong? And mm. No, he points to, like God himself, he chooses, like, how can I best answer this? Look at Job. Mm. And that you see with, whether it be with Cain and Abel, whether it be with Job, whether it be with Enoch, and all the way down through the ages, his faithful martyrs through the dark ages, uh, and his church at the end of time. This, that's, that, that um, have you considered my servant Job is almost identical to here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Right? Mm. He's pointing to a place, a group of people yes. that are demonstrating. Well, it made me think of, I, let me just insert this really, yes. really quickly, but we were in a meeting yesterday and it had a really good worship talk and someone invoked uh, Acts of the Apostles, page nine, mm-hmm. the very first page of that wonderful book on the church. Yes. It says, from the beginning, it has been God's plan that through his church mm. shall be reflected to the world his fullness and his sufficiency. So it's his plan to show himself but it's through the agency of the church. And he goes on and on. The members of the church, those whom he has called out of darkness into his marvelous light are to show forth his glory. And through the church, he goes on to say, will eventually be made manifest even to the principalities and powers in heavenly places, the final and full display of the love mm. of God. We see that in a microcosm in this passage in Genesis. Absolutely. And, and the two worshipers, the two classes of worshipers, it's interesting. You find the similarities between 
Elijah and the worshipers of Baal. Mm. You find especially where in the New Testament, Jesus talks about the Pharisee and the publican. That's the same thing as those mm. two worshipers. It's Cain and Abel One all has a sense of a need of Christ. One, no sense of a need of Christ. Mm. And um, when you come down to this, there's a great statement in Patriarchs and Prophets, page seven, uh, 79, mm. where Ellen White takes this and applies it down to the end of time. And she says, by the facts unfolded in the progress of the great controversy, this, you know, why does it keep going on as long as it does? Notice it's unfolding this progress. God will demonstrate the principles of his rules of government, which have been falsified by Satan and by all whom he has deceived. His justice will finally be acknowledged by the whole world though the acknowledgement will be made too late to save the rebellious. So even the rebellious are going to acknowledge it. Yes. Okay. God carries with him, and this last part is just incredible, God mm. carries with him the sympathy and approval of the whole universe as step by step his great plan advances to its complete fulfillment. He will carry it with him in the final eradication of rebellion. Mm. So step by step, he's unfolding these things just as far Mm-hmm. as his created beings can follow, so he makes sure they get the lesson. I think that's amazing. Sympathy mm-hmm. and approval of the whole universe, which will eventually include even the unrepentant, even the wicked. That's Satan right. himself, we're told, but he's going to do it in such a way that all the way along, everyone can see when it's all done. That's There's right. no more questions left. It's that's so right. transparent that yes. even the wicked will acknowledge. It all comes down to personal choice, like, like that <laughs> we read a little earlier. Abel chose faith and obedience... Cain, unbelief, and rebellion, here the whole matter rested. And here it still rests. Friends, there's such good material for a study this week. We trust your Sabbath schools will be blessed. And let's dedicate Mm. ourselves to the Lord as we close. Heavenly Father, please, Lord, we thank you, first of all, for these incredible lessons from Scripture. Thank you for being a God who communicates for our blessing and benefit these important truths. Now, as we share them with one another and and develop them even more in our conversation and study. Let it be evident to every single person the part that we are to play in your great controversy and what your great sacrifice means for us individually. Help us, Lord, to make those choices every day to, by your grace, become more like Jesus. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.